learning new details about the cost of two chartered flights paid for by the state of Florida that transported 48 miles. Last week, two chartered planes took off from San Antonio that made a stop in Crestview in the Panhandle before landing in Martha's Vineyard. As an attorney's representing some of the migrants look into whether laws were violated. The charges are a broad range of criminal and potentially civil, including human trafficking. Hello and welcome back for a post Super Sunday episode of Why Are We Like This, the only true crime podcast that treats Florida like the active crime scene it is. I'm David Quinones and I'm joined by my co-host, the chief chicken in charge. We'll get to that later. Tomas Kennedy. Tomas, what's up, man? Good, good. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into uh, my, my <laughs> cup related activities later. <laughs> Our other co-host, Gerald Doherty, he sends his regrets. He's not joining us today. He's burning one of his personal vacation days, uh, mandated Walt off time we don't want to um you know we want to work life balance for our talent we don't want to burn them out uh so jerry sends his regards um but our guest today is our friend jason garcia an investigative reporter who covers the corporate influence in florida he publishes seeking rents which you can find at jasongarcia.substack.com jason welcome to why are we like this yeah thanks for having me no it's great to have you um it it, it seems like uh we should have had you on earlier than this, honestly, because our podcast theme is kind of like tailor-made for the, the stuff that you write. A lot of the times, the answers, when we get to them, to why are we like this, end up being as simple as, well, because a corporation paid for us to be this way. It ends up just like kind of being at the root um, of, of of what we are. A few weeks ago, we had Ida Eskamani on to preview the upcoming uh, legislative session in Tallahassee. And this week, we've asked Jason on to help us dissect last week's special session, the so-called Fix-It session. And we're also going to do, we're going to go deep on an important figure uh, for the why are we like this lore, universe, expanded cinematic uh, realm. And that is Richard Corcoran, a name we've only mentioned in past episodes. We're going to talk a little bit more about him today. Uh, this week, he's hit the government employee lottery with his appointment as the new interim president of the new College of Florida, swooping in to de-wokeify the school, known as one of the few havens of progressive education in the Sunshine State. But before we get to any of that stuff, Tomas, I think we need to address um, your weekend activities and what you were up to this weekend. So uh, from a, a, a report in the Miami New Times, uh, the headline, Chicken Man Arrested at Carroyo's Big Block Party. Uh, this is my friend of the show, Naomi Feinstein, and also Izzy Kapnick, a group of underground sub, uh, subversives who call themselves the Committee to Undermine the Carroyo Clan, Cuck, has been hatching dastardly plans to sabotage Miami Commissioner Joe Carroyo's work in the city and thereby disrupt the very foundation of municipal government. Their latest plot unfolded Saturday as they dressed up as bright yellow chickens to protest the grand opening of Carroyo's dog and cat's walkway, a new installation of pet sculptures at Maurice Ferret Park, conceived by none other than uh, Commissioner-turned-art-director uh, Carroyo. The chickens were donning sleeveless white undershirts, a.k.a. wife beaters, emblazoned with Carroyo's mugshot from his 2001 arrest on a domestic battery charge while he was in the midst of divorce proceedings, which we've talked about before on this show. Um, as part of this foul stunt, the chickens handed out undershirts with Carroyo's mugshots uh, to members of the crowd and held up signs stating Joe Carroyo wife beater as Carroyo was on stage at the uh, walkway. Tomas Kennedy, a, <laughs> the damned old boy, uh, a writer, activist, and member of Cuck, tells <laughs> member of Cuck, tells New Times the group, quote, was not yelling or being physically disruptive when the Miami-Dade Police Department approached and booted the chickens from the event, quote, 
They were told they had to leave a. Um, uh, they were told that they had to leave a public event in a public park. Says Kennedy, whose pa- past protests against Governor Ron DeSantis prompted a state official state officials to ban him from the governor's press events. Tomas, where'd this come from? And uh, did you keep your chicken outfit? And can, where can I score two uh, XL in the um, in the wife beaters? Yeah, so this uh, stems from the committee to unelect conman Ken, which was an, an effort to. Uh, unelect Ken Russell, who was, you know, a, a grifter, city of Miami commissioner, and actually a Democrat. So uh, we are a bipartisan. <laughs> bipartisan. <laughs> yeah. So now it's evolved into the into the committee to undermine the Carollo clan. And Joe Carollo is a nefar- nefarious, villainous figure in Miami politics. Someone that has been in elected office, you know, uh, sucking off the teeth of the taxpayer since the 1980s. In nineteen, sorry, in two thousand, as you uh, noticed, uh, noted, uh, Carollo was arrested for uh, domestic abuse when he threw a teapot at his wife and and proceeded to beat her, leaving her with physical uh, bruise marks. His own eleven year old daughter called nine eleven and nine one one, and the nine one one call was actually uh, played in uh, the nightly news, uh, you know, for all of Miami to hear. Correa was then re-elected into office in Doral. He's a current city of Miami commissioner, uh, which is, you know, incredibly disgraceful that these sorts of figures are continue to be voted into office by the you know city of Miami residents. But this latest stunt was targeting this idiotic dog uh, park that he's just unveiled that cost uh, Miami taxpayers a million dollars. And it's basically, it was an existing park. What they did, they put a, a, a handful of dog sculptures in it. Uh, and the person that actually directed the whole project was his wife that gave that money to a friend of hers that served as a you know non-experienced contractor. And there was no public oversight, no public input, no competitive bidding, and no approval process. For this dog yeah. park, so of course, this was more all off Miami the cuff. Yeah, so you know, um, we went there uh, with the chicken outfits, wearing the the, the shirts with the the mugshot, uh, and and holding signs. And again, the the, the chickens were very peaceful. Uh, they were not yelling. Uh, they were not disrupting, but they were passing out these these undershirts to a rather enthusiastic crowd, I might say, that really enjoyed them uh, and was uh, quite hostile towards the commissioner. Uh, and <laughs> you can see in, in the video that we've published from the event. You will be arrested if you go into my scene right now. You get what I'm saying? I get it. I'm right here. Right. I'm right here. Wait, stay right there. Don't go in. Hold it. But because one of the chickens was really into in in character and was making some uh, clucking no- noises, you know, they were going cluck 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 cluck. cluck. Uh, the 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 police officers wrote in the police report that they were being very disruptive. Uh, yeah. There was there was like it was outdoors and there was literally like hundreds of people there. By the way, it wasn't like some indoor quiet <laughs> event. Um, and yeah, they proceeded to arrest, uh, one of the chickens, uh, because he was passing out these undershirts at a public park in a public event. And, uh, you know, we've retained counsel, um, you know, we're in, we're in the process of trying to see if these charges can get, uh, dismissed or, or, you know, if there's any legal action that, that we need to take, but it's obviously a pretty blatant violation of his civil yeah. rights. Uh, and, you know, Joe Carroy, who has 
weaponized code enforcement to go against businesses of donors of his uh, of his opponents is once again weaponizing city of miami police and city of miami agencies to go after critics uh and it's pretty disgusting but uh in character for him yeah it's par for the course i'm really glad that you guys are doing that though because the the core underlying issue that we're talking about here this no bid process like this million bucks it's number one like you say indicative of the way that business is done in the city and in the county very often but number two it didn't get any coverage like hardly anybody was talking about this like i i didn't the, the only way that i as a just normal you know uh bumbling through life citizen of miami um encountered this story was like a municipal invitation like they they sent me the city sent me an email like oh come on down to the dog park there's this new you know dogs and cats living together uh party with joe coroyo <laughs> so i uh well, it, you know, nobody else was reporting about this well, now they are because uh, yeah, now they Miami are. New Times, Miami Herald, NBC Miami, all did pretty friendly reports uh, about this, you know, chicken incident, uh, noting how ridiculous the arrest was, and you know, talking about why we did it, uh, about this obvious fucking grift. Um, so it was really not in the best interest of Carollo, uh to actually and Miami police to go ahead with this arrest, but they, they can't help yep. themselves, right? So they, they have to act like author, authoritarian fascists. But rest assured, you know, the committee to undermine uh, the Carollo clan, Cook, uh, is not intimidated <laughs> and we will continue exercising our First Amendment rights and, uh, yeah, uh, participating in uh, civic engagement. So downtown Miami, Little Havana, that makes sense for you guys to be dressed up as chickens. Jason, where would like what, what would you what, what would these guys be have to dress up as around like Lake Eola? Like uh, labradoodles, I guess. I don't know. Like what is like, the, 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 like... Lake Eola? You got to do swans, I would imagine. Ah, swans, yeah, stupid, easy <laughs> right. one, I, I, easy layup. I missed right. there. Yeah, should have been should have been swans. <laughs> yeah, but I, I suspect any sort of animal costume is a good way to draw attention to a story like that. Well, if I remember correctly, Lake Eola is also the place where you get. Um, and this might have been years ago. But you get arrested for feeding homeless people there. Like if you if you give them, yeah, yeah. that's true. so uh, right. It's infamous for that. Yeah, yeah. Times are tough. I can't all abide over. that sort of behavior. No, 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 no. That's that that's got to be outlawed. Not in not in not right. in the, the 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 not in the, the, the state of freedom or whatever. Yeah. So on to our main topic that we want to talk about, which is the Florida Legislative Special Session. There were th- there were three bills sent to Governor Ron DeSantis's office. Um, Jason, before the show, was helpful enough to remind me that there were a few like less consequential things that got um, passed and moved along too. But we want to focus on some of the more familiar stalking horses that are baked into these in, into this pending legislation. You know, it's it's things that you've you've heard before, right? Disney, Reedy Creek Improvement District, uh, voter fraud. Um, if Republican lawmakers had their priorities on a, on that fix-it list, I'd venture a guess that none of them had higher priority, though, than uh, Ron DeSantis leveraging his supermajorities in the legislature to insulate him from uh, legal jeopardy for his part in running. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it what it is, which is like a human trafficking ring slash campaign stunt in 2022 that garnered so much attention. Um, however, before we get to these these action items, there's something that. I was hoping you might be able to expand on a little bit, Jason, for, for our listeners. There's this common thread, this strategy that that DeSantis and that the part that the Republican Party has kind of rolled out to great success over the last four years. And it reminds me a lot because I've been watching this fucking HBO show, Last of Us. It reminds me of the way that the cordyceps like infection takes over the host and you kind of like you infect key parts of the body and the brain 
and then the organism changes control. In this thread, you had re-upped what you called a history lesson for how DeSantis effectively took administrative control of um, Orlando International Airport back in 2019 by replacing like key people and and gaining control of this you know huge hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in budget for you know vendors, contractors, concessionaires, and like can you talk a little bit more about what looks like it's becoming a kind of um like a, like a template or like a like a like a plan for how to take over institutions by like by just taking over key positions in in their leadership because I thought that was a really astute observation that you made. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. And, and one thing to to stress, I'll I'll, one, I'll run through that history lesson real quick, but it, it didn't actually work at least as planned in Orlando. Um, for for reasons that I'll, I'll talk about and that are really sort of uh, relevant to the discussion about what they just did with uh, Disney's district. But yeah, the 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 story I was recalling was, um, you know, in 2019, this is like right after Ron DeSantis took office, he appointed four people all at once to the board that runs Orlando International Airport. Um, this is a seven member board. So it's an instant sort of DeSantis majority on this board. Um, and I'm sure this is true of, of, any major airport that is a that is a powerful place to control right that yeah. they, they spend a ton of money on you know concessionaires on construction projects on they've got their own lobbyists they've got their own just like endless layers of consultants and advisors and stuff like that there is a lot of money at your fingertips when you control that government agency and and that that new DeSantis majority who were being sort of strategically directed by like DeSantis's core advisors, including uh, Matt Gates and his, his chief of staff at the time as well, one of the first things they tried to do was oust the uh, the longtime general counsel at the the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority. That's the top lawyer, who, who by the way, wasn't some great guy or anything like that. Yeah. But his 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 uh, his concern or the problem they had with him is he was more loyal to the the mayor of Orlando than he was the governor of Florida, essentially. Um, and so they tried to oust him. And replace them with their own their own people, and this became like a huge controversy, and it ended up backfiring away. That triggered a, an FDA an FDLE investigation. Eventually, happened. It never led anywhere, but still, there was like a giant controversy that sort of spoiled a lot of what they were trying to do, at least early on. Um, but I remember during that dust up, um, one of the one of the people that was involved with with trying to move these chess pieces around, and I, I won't name them because we were we weren't we weren't speaking for quote at this point, but. But they sort of laid out to me like the strategy, essentially, that there was three key positions you needed to to control at an agency like like the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority to sort of essentially run the place. One was the board chairman. The next was the executive director. And the third was the general counsel, the top lawyer. And that's that's important because that's the guy who gives you legal legal cover for whatever you want to do. You, you Almost all laws involves gray areas, right? So you need a lawyer to give you the opinion that what you're doing is legal, right? Um, and so I thought of that because we were watching, um, you know, we were all watching the new College of Florida situation where DeSantis just put six new people on the board all at once. And so I was watching that that first board meeting with this new board. And like within an hour, they had ousted the board chair chairwoman and replaced them with one of their own. They had ousted the university president and replaced them with Richard Corcoran. They ousted the, or they they, hired, they announced they're going to give a new general contract, general counsel's contract to Bill Galvano, a former Republican Senate president. I mean, it was the same three positions this uh, this person had been telling me about years ago. Is like that's the key to controlling it all. So, I I don't think any of this, to be clear, is is new. Like you know, the people right. that were running these agencies before have all known this. What is uh, what seems to be newer with 
DeSantis, and 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 I can only sort of speak to the ones that have like sort of mushroomed up into sort of like a place where I I've noticed them. It seems to happen almost like a like all at once in a way. There's there's a lot less subtlety to it than there might have been under Jeb Bush or under Rick Scott. Yeah, I've noticed that T. Like it's it's like the brakes are the brake lines are cut now. There's no there used to always be a and you know this. Tomas, because you were like you were a member of, of a number of actions like this, but there used to always be like, oh well, you know, there, this might get challenged legally, or he might not have enough votes, or there might, you know, in 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 his first him being DeSantis in his first um in his first term as governor, it, it felt like there were there were some checks, and now it feels like that they're they're gone. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. I mean, and you know this is from the same crowd that uh, hates, you know, government, hates authoritarianism, uh, is always decrying, you know, the government intervention and control. Uh, and, and you know, they, they are the ones imposing this sort of government control over educational institutions, uh, over all sorts of institutions across the, 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 the state, right? Uh, really, what they're trying to do is, is, you know, control the referee, to basically control the rules uh, of of the game. I mean, was, is that would you say that's accurate, Jason? Yeah, I think you've seen a very clear effort to sort of control where where, where possible control any sort of independent institutions, and where where that's not possible, weaken them. And you could you see it across um, all sort of manner, uh, all sort of ways it manifests itself. So it, it's like you know, ousting the independently elected state attorney in, in uh, Tampa and replacing yeah. them with uh, with your own handpicked appointment, right? It is it is like going after independent media. It is doing things like uh, pushing laws that are designed to make it easier to sue newspapers for libel while propping up like a whole sort of network of propaganda stuff. And it is sort of like Pointing, appointing especially sort of ideological hardliners and loyalists onto these key boards. And like, like I said, when what we saw in Orlando was happening was, you know, the DeSantis administration wasn't like they just sort of set them loose and, and, and told and left them to do their own thing. They were very clearly like instructing them what they wanted to happen in a lot of situations. So I think it's it's also taking all these all these um, these board appointments and just sort of micromanaging them in a way uh, that, that maybe previous administrations had not. And the other thing uh, we've seen, and this this is true of all governors, it's just become more and more extreme over time, is is kind of pushing the boundaries of, or, or exercising, pushing into areas where, where the law isn't really clear and nobody's just ever really done before and sort of taking advantage of the fact that, that nobody really knows how to, to respond. Right. And I'm actually going to take this back to... Um, to a Rick Scott example where this, this sort of first manifests itself. Like, like one of the things uh, Ron DeSantis is sort of uh, famous or infamous for, depending on your perspective is he has, um, he has appointed sort of the most partisan judiciary we've, we've kind of seen in Florida, yeah. but part of the way he was able to do that. Right. Right. But part of the way he was able to do that is it, it, you, you dial it back to Jeb is, you know, we used to have this system that was meant to try and sort of, extract some of the politics out of, of judicial appointments. And it, it was, they, they had devised this hybrid system uh, of these, these nominating commissions that you, the governor couldn't just put whoever they wanted on these on uh, as a judge. It had to go through these nominating commissions and the, the power to appoint these nominating commissions was split between the governor and the Florida bar, which is essentially like a professional association for lawyers, right? Jeb didn't like that. And so he pushed 
for the ability to appoint all of the appointees to these nominating councils, but the, the bar still got to nominate like half of them. He had to still pick from half of them. Then Rick Scott sort of started rejecting all nominees put forward by the Florida bar. And no, nobody knew what to do with this. The law didn't say like, the, the, the law said the governor had to pick someone nominated by the bar, but it didn't say like he had to pick from the very first slate they sent over. And he essentially found a way to like continue pressuring that process in a way that, you know, the bar was either going to send him more people that people that he actually wanted, or he was just going to run these new nominating commissions without their appointees. Right. And so that that allowed these nominating commissions to get even more sort of curtailed or controlled by the governor's office. And now you've got the, the governor, Governor DeSantis, not only sort of benefiting from that structure, but also like implementing what he has bragged about this sort of like incredibly like rigid and uh, deep dive uh, screening process by uh, you know, sort of conservative advisors before he appoints a judge, you know? And so it's all of this stuff. You just sort of keep pushing further and further and further. And if there's, you know, there's no pushback, you don't lose a court case. You know, the legislature doesn't, doesn't decide it's got a problem with it. You just, you just go as far as you can. Yeah. It's just, it's just really crazy to me how they are just like putting stress on these institutions. And, you know, this is a typical, like, like it's typical of the authoritarian playbook, right? It's what you said. Take advantage of like vagueness in the laws, like push against that. See how far you can get away with as you like appoint, you know, your cronies to institutions, right? And and you're controlling the referee. You're like changing the rules little by little. It reminds me a lot, and I've written about this of the Victor Orban playbook, and others, of course, have. Mm-hmm. Written, I'm not. It's on an original thought. A lot of people have noted how similar. It is to what's happening in Hungary, what's happening in Florida, right? And you've even had people like Christina Pushaw make those sorts of, uh, you know, like uh, statements, right? She, she's admitted that, for example, a lot of like their homophobic uh, and anti-higher education policies were inspired by the Orman regime, right? Another thing, though, that I think it's really important and that we've kind of touched upon at various parts in our conversation is that... It's so much of this is not just ideological, right? It's not just about changing like Florida's education system and higher education institutions to serve a right wing agenda. And I think this is touches so much on seeking rents and the work that you do, Jason. So much of what the DeSantis agenda is about is grifting, right? Like all his cronies that um, are, are put in these positions are you know, financially rewarded for it. You know what I mean? They are, you know, plugged into like the revolving door between public and private sector lobbying. Just today, you've, you, you know, you've had Richard Corcoran, who we're going to talk about, you know, what, how much, how much, how much are they planning to pay him? Like, is it like $700,000? Yeah, yeah it's, it's something like $699,000 for his first year salary. Again, this is from a government salary, ostensibly. I mean, like, and then- It was like 400 Oh, sorry. Yeah, it was like four hundred thousand higher than the previous guy. Too. Yeah, plus, and, plus a housing and, and car allowance. And he could make a million, and uh, in in future years, if if he gets the interim tag removed, and then right, um, I think that it, he's still getting his um pension or his retirement, which is over a hundred thousand dollars from it, previous it, jobs. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. All all their work is financially rewarded. You know, at the end of the day. And even like the the loser like like B like list cast of characters like for example Kelly Stargell, who is a, a state senator, 
uh, that was, you know, known for being like very culture warrior, like anti-abortion, she just got a position in some other like, you know, minor like university or whatever after she lost her congressional race. So all of the loyalists are rewarded for their loyalty at the expense of us, the taxpayer. Yeah, to exorbitant degrees, yeah. Yeah, one thing I'll add to that. I, I mean, obviously, I would sort of, you know, I, I necessarily I wouldn't go quite as far as to sort of declare it all grifting. You know, maybe there's there's some things, but but I mean, boy, they sure give people a lot of ammo to to sort of support that. And yeah. and so I'm thinking because we'll talk about this more in general. This this migrant relocation stunt. Yeah. The the records that are coming out of this lawsuit and that the Miami Herald is reporting are just like astounding. You had um, the governor's, you know. Top aide for this program, his public safety czar, quote unquote, Matt, Matt Gates is one of Matt Gates's former law partners, um, using a secret private uh, email address with a pseudonym right after a, a Silence of the Lambs character pseudonym, using that to communicate and coach a former client of his on how to win the the contract for this program, and and. This this vendor has since been paid like more than a million dollars. We still don't seem to know exactly how much, and nobody has yet been able to account for exactly how all that money was spent because the actual flights themselves didn't cost nearly that much. You but know, I mean, Jason, this goes back. This goes back to the shocking. Thing, this goes back to the thing that you that you and Tomas were just talking about, which is the the breakdown in norms. I don't know if you either of you were covering Florida politics before 2010. But um, but there used to be it used to be pretty easy because we have really good sunshine laws here and good transparency laws. Presumably, it used to be very easy to figure out what was being said behind you know closed emails. Because but Rick Scott began in like the very first year of his first term, he began this shadow communication regime where we don't really. You used to be able to put in a FOIA for all comms coming from one office, and you would get whatever, like a spreadsheet of CSV with like a few thousand communiques, right? And then literally a few months after, and you can find contemporaneous reporting from back in 2010 when Herald, um, Democrat, all of them were reporting about this. All of a sudden it stopped. You would put in a FOIA and you would get back like, you know, it's Jason's birthday. Don't forget to bring cupcakes tomorrow from like departments. And that was the only emails that were being sent and nothing of business was being sent. And you're like, okay, well, you know, whatever. That's something that Rick Scott, his, you know, corrupt ass did 12 years ago. No, it sets a precedent. It's still, you know, it's still the way that the way that business is done. Like they're, they're not going to step away from something like that when it's proven that it, it can work for them. Right. Yeah. I've been covering um, Florida politics since uh, the Jeb Bush administration. <laughs> um, and, you know, when you, you can see just sort of like the the slow sort of uh, descent of public records time, ter- timeline for turnarounds and stuff. Right. Jeb and, and Charlie Chris were both great on responding. Like, I mean, it yeah. felt like it was a, a faithful sort of attempt to comply with that. Uh, things started to really slow down under under Rick Scott and under Ron DeSantis. They've reached. A point that, you know, ask any sort of longtime journalist in Florida, and they will tell you they've never seen an administration take as long as the DeSantis one does to turn around just basic public records. You know, the, some of the simplest records you can request in Florida politics are just applications for points. So we're, we're talking a lot about uh, gubernatorial appointees. So when, when the governor appoints someone to, you know, the new college board of trustees board or the Greater Orlando Aviation Authority board, they have to fill out these pretty detailed applications. It's just a totally customary record for... Um, 
for people to request when they're trying to learn a bit more about the background of these folks. You, these should be turned over. These can be turned over within hours. You know, they're they're easily accessible. There's yeah. not a lot of redaction. That they're has digitized. To go into them. They're available. Yeah, digitally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You you'll wait three, four, five months just to get a couple of applications out of this administration. If you want something significant, you're waiting even longer. I am uh, still waiting on a records request I submitted immediately after the the end of last year's legislative session. Just asking for emails from the governor's legislative affairs director. All I'm looking for is to see what she, what the governor's office was working on legislatively. Because a lot of times they're not talking about everything they're working on, right? Mm -hmm. I still don't have those emails. And that is, it's just an email. It's a request for emails. There's a lot of them. Don't get me wrong. So I, I was budgeting, you know, reasonably, I would expect that to take three, four, five months to do. It is taking, we're coming up on now a year just about on this stuff. This is a whole rabbit hole we could go down to Tomas, like about like I mean, uh, like public records law and the way that the way that it's eroded here in, in in Florida over the course of the last decade. I don't know what were what were you about to say, T? I, I cut you off. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think Jason probably, I mean, not probably, like you have much more experience with public records requests, and your job like entails so much of that. You're reporting, but you know, I. I have uh, some experience uh, uh, in it, especially recently in, in regards to like my lawsuit against the governor, in regards to some other work that I've been doing. And I have the exact same experience. It is so hard to get them to release stuff to you when they do send you stuff. It is just absolute garbage most of the time when you have yeah. to request it again. You have to sue them. You know, I'm I, in, for my lawsuit against the governor, I'm actually I filed a, a, a lawsuit in federal court, uh, and one one of the reasons is because partly you know like to to prompt the the release of information through the discovery process because it is impossible to get documents from them in good faith, and I'm telling you they will respond with absolute garbage or just like you know, mountains of useless emails and information just to like troll you, which seems to be their like mo modus operandi for most things, which is just to troll, you know, <laughs> whoever is a critic or, you know, and, uh, you know, it's gamesmanship. It's all, it's all, it's all been, it's all gamesmanship. And it's like a full, like to Jason's point earlier, it's like, it used to be a begrudging relationship. Like, okay, we know that we need the media. We know that we need, um, you know, Jason Garcia, we know we need Mary Ellen class. I mean, like, we can't just like throw a middle finger at them. So like, let's, you know, cooperate with them. Now it's just a, like, you know, two guns blazing, like, fuck you guys come, come pride from my dead hands. And I'll tell you one other, one other thing too, this is a little different, but it makes me think of like, um, you know, <laughs> Jeb's, Jeb's reputation is sort of taking a bit of a hit in the, sort of the, the presidential version, presidential election version of him. But Please clap. You know, he was like, he was like, if you're interested in policy, um, he was like an absolute sort of like joy to cover. I, I, I sorry, I, joy is like a probably stronger word than I mean, but you would stand in there with him and have like legitimate policy debates with him. You know, I enjoyed covering Jeb far more than I enjoyed covering Charlie Chris because Jeb could sort of speak policy, right? Like, and Jeb would, uh, you know, when you ask a question to Jeb, right? Um, if, if you mess up your, uh, your premise, if you've got something in there where he senses that you don't actually know what you're talking about, and you're just sort of repeating something somebody else told you to say, he would pounce on that and you, it was over, right? Yeah. Rick Scott began the process of, 
not even engaging in questions. He would still take the questions, but the the answers would have like, you know, absolutely no correlation to uh, to the question asked, right? And of course, uh, Ron DeSantis has gone down the rabbit hole of, yeah. or sorry, gone down the path of like barely even taking questions to begin with, you know? And, um, and if he does, it's, it's just, only it's only to tee himself up for indi- right. indicting the question, indicting the premise yeah. of you asking the question. Like, well, you know, right. Jason, I, I'd love to answer that question, but unfortunately we're in the throes of the, the woke mafia here in Florida. And, you right. know, you, we, yeah, th- th- it's ridiculous that you would even ask that question, right? Just like, so, right. and, I was just saying, and they will couch it as like strategy, right? Like we don't, we don't work with the, the, the fake media that's just out to criticize us. What I'm going to tell you is it's a, it's cowardice, right? It is an inability to stand in there and defend your policies on the merits with people that actually do their own research and that are willing to sort of go toe to toe to you and ask you like aggressive questions and not just sort of take your word for the answers. Right. I, the, the, the unwillingness to sort of, engage in that kind of give and take with with uh, fellow sort of with independent sort of subject matter matter experts is as far as I'm concerned that's cowardice I agree I mean he is the boy in the bubble y'all remember that movie <laughs> yeah he is the boy in the bubble like he <laughs> Toby is Maguire creating... right or no no yeah, that was uh, it was um it was uh, uh Jake Gyllenhaal right wasn't he the boy in the bubble I think so yeah but he's creating this little like safe space away from you know like people that are going to ask him tough questions and put him in an uncomfortable position he's creating his little ecosystem right and you know i don't know how that's going to work at the national level to be honest uh i don't know if you can create a winning electoral college coalition just by you know being interviewed you know by by the freaks of newsmax and oan and you know having florida's voice and florida standard you know like break your campaign you know press releases i mean it'll be a test of that i guess jason jason we've said we've said on this show before that we don't know if um make america florida is going to be like that successful of a um of a national campaign strategy Um, maybe with some especially when ron especially when ron DeSantis, when donald trump is calling ron DeSantis meatball ron which i'm not making that up that's apparently the new nickname i mean it's, it's it's going to be a, so, he's, so, he's going to be under a lot of pressure that he's not used to. So let's transition over to one of these um, efforts to evade uh, any kind of culpability. And that is in the, um, the, the, the micro flights. If, if, if I were to set this up as sort of like a casual news consumer, my news literacy on this topic is obviously this happened. It was very transparently an electoral stunt. I, I think that even a lot of the people involved, um, weren't really that, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't that shy about admitting that, right? This is a, this is to prove a point flying migrants. Into, um, so, but beyond that, the details, like many others, I think uh, probably eluded me and I, I didn't follow up that much. And my understanding is that there's some kind of legal jeopardy for um, Governor DeSantis. But if you were to like <laughs> take my temperature on how likely I think it is that any sitting governor, especially one that popular is going to get indicted or whatever i would not have thought um that that's the case what came out of this special session um and maybe you can help frame uh frame that issue a little bit more for us jason like the 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 history and the context from the era when the migrant flights were kind of getting all the headlines to now yeah yeah that, that yeah i can walk you through some of that um so so just to, to, to wind back the clock a little bit, all of this came out of a program where um, the legislature last year at the at the governor's request put um, 
I believe it was 10 or $12 million, uh, 12, $12 million into the budget um, for this, this migrant relocation program, which um, specifically said the government was specifically to remove unauthorized aliens from this state. What the governor ended up doing was uh, sending people and paying people to go to Texas and round up a bunch of um, mostly Venezuelan asylum seekers and then flew them to Martha's Vineyard. They made like a, a pit stop in Florida, which um, uh, even even the most sympathetic judge is not going to uh, to fall for that idea as qualifying as from this state, right? Um, and and to the point of that, it was a stunt that everybody. I mean, they filmed it all and provided the footage to Fox News, right? I mean, it is very clear, and and they have been very clear in their public statements that this is to expose what they view as the hypocrisy of. Uh, of uh, places that are uh, in, embrace immigrants yeah. and migrants and stuff and support immigrants, right? Um, so, so he found himself in in quite a bit of uh, a, a bit of trouble here right from the beginning. Now, now, I wouldn't say I don't think like he was facing like criminal, like legal type trouble, but more trouble that like his his administration broke the law and that could create some problems. And uh, a state senator down in Miami filed a lawsuit saying like the plain language of the law here said. This money was to fly unauthorized immigrants from this state. You took immigrants from Texas to Massachusetts. I'm sorry. It was unauthorized aliens was in the law. And and beyond sort of not being from within the state, there's even an argument that these were legal asylum seekers, right? You know, once they got into the country, they turned themselves in and sought asylum. So they, they are now here legally, right? But they got moved. They, that that one is a little bit more arguable. The, the within this state um, or from this state was just ironclad. And then that was before all these other records started coming out uh, that were pulled out by a lawsuit um, that showed all the stuff we talked about earlier, where this sort of uh, really sort of suspicious uh, business in the governor's office where you're secretly coaching a former client to get some of this contract and to get some of these contracts and and never explaining where exactly all the money went. So that that's the situation we found ourselves in, where this the governor's now sort of his office is involved in a lawsuit where it's looking pretty likely that it's going to be found that they broke the law in the way they executed this program. Plus a whole bunch of sort of heat starting to build around this idea of like, well, how, how exactly was this money spent and who was it given to and why was it given to these people specifically? So then we go into this Florida legislative session, this special session. Well, Jason, oh, yeah. before, before really quick, before we get into the present day, do, have we like, has there been any examination or like a consensus on Whose brainchild this whole thing? Because this was something that was seemed like it was embraced by their the, by the entire party. Was this a DeSantis strategy? Was this something that came from RNC? Like how who, who got the idea to coordinate all of these this this these disgusting flights? Like who who came up with this idea? You know, I, I'm wondering if maybe Tomas knows some of that sort of history. But I mean, as far as I know from just uh, reading about it, it seems to have begun with Tucker Carlson saying something like this on his show, and that that, that became sort of wonderful uh, a sort of you know, a, a Tucker Carlson sort of throwaway joke becomes like a, a policy of the state of Florida. In, in terms of who was uh, sort of coordinating it, the the messages coming out or the records coming out of this litigation show, the governor's chief of staff was directly involved in this. And the, this public safety czar was kind of like seemed to be the point person coordinating everything, you know. Um, but I don't know, Tom, Tomas, maybe you know a bit more about some of that background. Yeah. How did this come to be? Like, how did this become a thing? Yeah, I, I've heard about the Tucker Carlson thing, but I think I think you're right, Jason. I think I think it was Youthmeyer, the, the chief of staff, um, and I think it was Larry Larry Keith. I mean, as the public I mean? safeties are, yeah, 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 yeah. Really I mean, he, they, that, they were clearly who was sort of like 
executing the sort of the nuts and bolts of the strategy. Now, whether or not Ron DeSantis said, uh, go get me some immigrants and get it onto Fox News, I, I don't I, I don't think the record has shown that yet. So that we, we've covered the fuck around. And now let's fast forward to the find out portion, which was, I guess, you don't. he's not going to end up having to find out. Walk, walk through. Walk us through what happened last week in, in, during the no. special session with respect no, to the, we, the microphone. We are, we are finding out no, for filing that lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the find out may have been coming, coming uh, but uh, the legislature tried to sort of get in front of that. So so just to, to remember the three things we're looking at here. One, one you had, uh, he, he uh, potentially illegally moved people uh, from Texas, right, rather than the state. He potentially illegally moved people who were here legally rather than unauthorized aliens. And uh, there was some potential sort of funny business around how the money was actually spent as well. So those you had those sort of three points going in. The legislature uh, last week passes a bill that, first of all, uh, says all the spending the governor's office did last year is approved, you know. And, and so just giving it blank, blanket, unconditional approval to everything that happened, even though lawmakers were 100% unable to answer basic questions about how they actually spent the money. They were saying, we're signing off on this money, on this spending, even though we have no earthly idea how it was actually spent, right? It is just a, a full up sort of blank check, essentially, in, in hindsight, sort of going back and just sort of like, Signing off on it all. You mean, yeah, he's going to do great. He's going to they... do great running the Pentagon. It's it's, it's perfect. <laughs> Every everybody wishes they could find auditors like this to come in and sort of sign off on their books, right? <laughs> um, and so so th- so that takes care of uh, presumably takes care of of all the sort of smoke that's starting to billow out of like how this money was spent and who it was spent on. Um, and then they rewrote the rules for this program going forward, where they made it very clear now. It says explicitly he can go anywhere in the United States and find uh, unauthorized uh, uh, migrants and, and take them to anywhere else in the state. Essentially, you can make this stunt show national, right? Um, and it says it very clearly. And, and they're doing this, by the way. The, the governor's office said they couldn't find enough uh, unauthorized immigrants in Florida, right? So they had to, they're, they're having to go out to other states to be able to pull this off, right? Which is just an insane sort of point. And then the other thing is um, they have rewrote the definition of, of who the governor's office uh, can take to make it very clear they can go get asylum seekers who are in the country legally and go ship them to you know Joe Biden's house in Delaware or wherever else they, they want to send whatever, them. Yeah. So it is just – it is a 100 uh, percent cleanup of all the messes that were made the first time around. It is so fucking stupid. Like, it is so frustrating that this is what we're doing in special session. When I, I don't want to get in my soapbox, but I mean, it's kind of the point of the podcast. But, like, there is so mu- many things that are fucked up in the state. Property insurance, housing. My property insurance. I still have I, kid, yeah, like, you, decent property you insurance on my fucking house. I mean, David, yeah, you've been struggling with property insurance for the last year, bro. And... This is what they're doing in special session. And I, I don't know if you were watching the committees, Jason or David, but the, the Republican lawmakers who are obviously uncomfortable with this, some of them, but they have to march along with the choreography that has been set up for them. We're saying like, but, you know, we're actually just uh, sending, you know, and also kind of trolling, but they're like, we're, you know, this is a good program. We're trying to send them to places where there's more resources for them. You know where where there's laws to protect them. Yeah, you know, tongue in cheek, kind of being cute. 
with that with that bullshit. Oh yeah, yeah. Just to the House Speaker did a press conference at the end of the session where he he started off saying that, but then made it clear like, but when you actually send it to him, you see they they don't like it or anything like this. It made it clear what we're doing is we're exposing the hypocrisy, and it's like okay, so we're back to the stunt using human beings for a stunt. Yes. Um, and I will say. Just, just to Tomas's point, we, you know, there are a number of Republican legislators who, if you talk to off the record, will often sort of bristle about this stuff, but won't do anything about it on the record, right? And they won't do anything about it in public. And that, you know, in one sense, that speaks to just how how powerful DeSantis has made himself within the Republican Party by by ingratiating so much himself with the voters that sort of dictate primaries. But it also, I'm sorry, it speaks to the cowardice of legislators who, if they really do find this problematic then uh, speaking up should be more important than sort of continuing on in office, just so you can keep doing more of this sort of stuff. And I'll say this, not to be um, not to be one of those dinosaurs who was like, this never would have happened back in my day. But, you know, I remember when, you know, Jeb, Jeb was seen as like this really powerful governor where the legislature would give him a lot. He had uh, he had a devil of a time with dealing with the Florida legislature on key stuff like like vouchers, right? The, the thing that was most important to Jeb, the Senate would push back on him. Charlie Crist was uh, was was super powerful at one point. I mean, he got the a Republican Florida legislature to pass through what was pretty much a socialized property insurance piece of le- legislation, right? Yeah. He got that through the thing. Even, even there have been other governors in the past who've been very, very powerful. None of them have ever had the legislature pass bills like this that are just sort of like, our head is in the sand. Whatever you did, that's cool. Just don't, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. We're fine. You know, like, I mean, it is, it is a, yep. the, the legislature is abdicating its responsibility. I, I agree. And I, w- I want to say one more thing about the migrant flights thing, because I mean, as you both know, like I'm, my main focus of activism and work is on the immigrant rights field. Right. Um, you know, I, I think what they're doing is disgusting and, I think it's gross that they're using people as props like this. I think it's gross the way that Florida uh, treats immigrants and the fact that every legislative session, there's a new law targeting people and making their lives a little like people that are here to work and thrive. They're making their lives just a little bit harder with every legislative session. But but considering that and the need to change that, right, the need to make this a better place for all Floridians, including immigrants, you know what? I am like, I, I I am glad that people are going to other states where they'll have more resources, right? But what the average Floridian needs to realize, aside from the fact that this is cruel and wrong, and we need to change the 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 the, the way that we treat immigrants in Florida, is that it's again a giant grift. You know what I mean? Like they are using this money to give you know, kickbacks to their to their campaign donors, to companies that donate to their political campaigns. And they're doing this, again, by giving a blank check to previous spending to avoid auditing and consequences like uh, Jason. And um, they, they are doing uh, the, the future expenditure of money through a no competitive, no bid process. You know what I mean? And these are supposed to be like the Republicans who love the free market and competition and whatever. And hey, I love bids. You know what I mean? We started this program talking about this bullshit grift parking in in city of Miami that was a kickback by Joe Correa's wife to her friend, you know, through a no bid process. And through every single level of government in Florida, local and state, 
you see this happening. You know what I mean? Where like the 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 the, the pu public funds are not being used responsibly, and again, they're being used to grease the machine, right? And grease relationships. And to me, this migrant flights thing, I don't, I actually would 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 uh, I want to ask you this, Jason? To me, this migrant flights thing, aside from being political theater, it is just a giant like allocation of money towards their like you know uh, uh friends and and cronies i will, yeah i will tell you that uh my concern about it has always been the the way the money is getting spent in this and obviously that's sort of the lens i look at at everything you know i mean part of the challenge is because we still don't have all the records i mean again we still don't know how the money was spent right so it is uh it is it is impossible to say right now that it was you know, maybe it was spent uh, just fine and everything, all the shady stuff that led to the way it was spent, it, it sort of ended up in a good place regardless. But we don't know that, right? And we need to know that. And all the sort of things we're seeing that, about how it was spent sort of are the sort of things you'd expect to see if it was spent in a really bad way. And and to the point of taking off the bidding requirements or not requirements, I mean, that is just like basic governance protection, right? Like there is no reason to do this. And I think, I think the argument... Uh, that legislators were giving was like, we consider this an emergency. So we're suspending those requirements. And it's like, that that's when like a hurricane hits and you need to get something out the door like tomorrow, right? This is not, it's not like these flights are like taken off from like Tyndall Air Force Base packed every single day. It's not, we're not like evacuating Hanoi or something like that, right? There is no, there is no reason for, uh, to, to forego competitive bidding on this stuff. It is just, it is just utterly irresponsible to do something like that. So from one sweetheart, one set of sweetheart deals, uh, enriching uh, some friends in, in the corporate side of the, the the state to another older sweetheart deal. Let's talk about, um, let's make the, uh, the transition over to the wonderful world of Disney, right? And I think, again, this is another story where those of us who sort of casually imbibed these headlines that were in a lot of ways manufactured by the DeSantis campaign in, in, you know, this culture war that he's been, that he's been holding up, um, that he's been waging for so long. It might be a little, for those of us that follow this story, we might be a little confused. Wait, this is an enormous corporate interest, basically a monopoly in the world of entertainment. If you have a kid, at least, uh, like you're, you're handed your Disney plus login and subscription with the, you know, your, um, your burping blankets. Uh, so like, <laughs> I'm wondering if you can walk us through in a similar fashion to, to the way we just talked about the migrant flights, um, the contour of this. How did this happen? Like, how did it, how did Florida's biggest corporate tenant, uh, big, biggest corporate, um, you know, presence run afoul? Is it really all just about, you know, uh, you know, uh, woke, um, you know, black Ariel and stuff like that? Or is it is is there a, um, you know, to, to your reporting, Jason, is there a a. Uh, a more like tangible financial angle to this and what, what is going to happen with Disney's like, you know, quote unquote business improvement district coming out of this session. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, um, let's sort of dial, set a little history here just to, to sort of get on the same page. Cause this is actually, it's one of those like really sort of like complicated issues where, um, you know, there's a lot of different sort of competing, um, perspectives on this that come together. But so what we're talking about here is the Reedy Creek Improvement District. And this is essentially a city government that was created for Disney to get them to develop Walt Disney World. And this is Walt Disney himself said he needed like a customized government that could respond quickly to with, you know, 
building permits and zoning and variance approvals I needed. Um, it also comes with a whole pile of perks, particularly around tax stuff. It can issue tax-free bonds, right? When you um, when Disney built parking garages a few years ago, um, it had Reedy Creek build them. And, and what that does is that allows uh, you to avoid sales tax on the construction materials. It allows you to um, avoid uh, property taxes uh, once you own them, right? So Universal, just to give you an example, Universal Orlando has a couple of parking garages. It pays property taxes on those because they're owned by Universal Orlando. Disney has property or has parking garages, but it doesn't pay property taxes on them because they're owned by Reedy Creek. And that's like a $3 million a year savings, like every single year, it's another $3 million, right? There are all of these, these, um, these kind of perks that come along with it. And, and this, this city government, which had basically all of the powers of a, of a normal city, other than it couldn't, it couldn't do its own police force, um, was entirely controlled by Disney, right? By the way, uh, we missed out on something super funny. If we could have had like Disney having their own police force, that would have been some real, (laughs) like, like uh, a post-apocalyptic, you know, (laughs) shit. But sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Right. And so Disney controls the board and it does that because there are, there are elections in this, in the Reedy Creek Improvement District, but they're decided on, on, you know, you get one vote for every acre of land you own in the district and Disney owns like two thirds of the acreage, right? So Disney controls the elections. So in one sense, um, you know, this is really problematic, right? This is a, this is a government with its own, its own city government, like the perks that come with this, with the, the rap, the, the way you can sort of very rapidly turn around your projects, you can have your you're sort of the needs out of a government, your approvals tailored to exactly what you need and want, right? I, I also did mention they don't pay impact fees because of this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney doesn't pay impact fees, right? So it's like um, generally pretty problematic in that it's like a just giant competitive advantage, right? Um, and and a lot of folks are, are now sort of like pointing to that, like retconning that as like an explanation for why they went after Reedy Creek. That, that is not what happened, obviously, <laughs> because, you know, Nobody seemed to, you know, nobody in Tallahassee, let me be clear. Lots of people were talking about the, the sort of problematic nature of Reedy Creek for a long, long time. But nobody in Tallahassee seemed to really care about it until um, Disney, belatedly, we should stress, spoke out against the, uh, the so-called don't say gay legislation last year. And that came after, you know, Disney has an enormous number of LGBTQ plus cast members, employees, right? Um, and they really pressured the company to speak out against this legislation. And when it finally did, that that a angered the governor, but but probably more importantly created a created an opening where the governor saw and saw a way he could sort of trigger one of these these sort of media firestorms that just that just sort of really animate right wing coverage, especially right. And so he announced that uh, he he announced that he was going to take away Reedy Creek, right. And so essentially forced them into another special session last year. This is crazy that we're doing all this stuff, yeah. right? Um, or, the, or I'm sorry, it was a special session they called because he was doing um, congressional maps all over again. But then he threw yeah. onto the agenda at the last minute, we're dissolving Reedy Creek. Sorry, goodbye, right? And uh, it was one of those wild sort of like, at one level, you know, as someone, I my background, I actually covered Disney for many, many years for the Orlando Sentinel. So this is like, you know, I used to go to Reedy Creek board meetings like regularly, right? Um, in one level, I'm sort of like, wow, it, it really should go away. But, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure that like punishing the a company for speaking out is like the, the right reason to be going to do it. It's like really, like I said, conflicting emotions. Yeah. But 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 just dissolving it creates all sorts of problems, including one that uh, people picked up immediately is that, you know, Reedy Creek issued it. Like I said, it's got the right to do tax free bonds. So it's carrying a lot of debt. 
that debt suddenly becomes borne by local taxpayers if you just sort of take away the district. So it became pretty clear immediately that they're going to have to they're going to have to fix this mess that just sort of like, you know, snapping your fingers in a fit of peak and dissolving the district was not it was going to create more problems than it solved for you. Um, and so that that brings us to this session. I can sort of keep going there or stop if we want. Away. No, that's the, it, it, it's good context. And I, I, I think that most people are in agree. It's funny, though, because like, I feel like the drumbeat for this began so much longer. Like, what people need to understand about Florida is that for a very long time, um, and through many administrations, that, uh, you know, that advantageous position that that Florida that um, that Orlando, I'm sorry, that uh, Disney had allowed it to enjoy this outsized, you know, political influence too. So you would have things like down here in Miami, we had a dalliance with um, wanting to build casinos, right? We wanted to build non, um, you know, non-native American, uh, you know, non-reservation casinos. We wanted to build one where the Miami Herald used to, used to be. Disney put the kibosh on that because guess what? Disney's more powerful than back then. They were more powerful than um, any of the interests that might, any, you know, state senators that those groups might have in their pocket. It's Disney and it is this monolithic monster. Um Disney, just to jump in there, is so powerful that in Ron DeSantis's first year in office, he signed a $5 million a year tax break that was written by Disney lobbyists. I mean, that is how powerful Disney was and sort of how little concern the governor seemed to have about it, uh, at least early on in his tenure. I I actually shared an article today about this in The Guardian, but... Uh, they were uh, dunking on all these like large uh, corporations that are, you know, are, are celebrating Black History Month while donating to Ron DeSantis's uh, gubernatorial reelection campaign. <laughs> and lo and behold, Disney World was one of them. So, you know, they're still donating to this guy. Yeah. They are still donating to the monster that they have created. And I actually agree with you, Jason. I am not like a Disney defender. I think Disney is a, a terrible company. Uh, that exploits its workers, you know. Uh, I, I think its its cruise industry is horrible for its its exploitation of of you know people in in you know so called third world countries. Whatever. That's a that's a that's a rabbit hole that I don't want to get into. Moon Knight, Reed- Moon Knight. What the fuck was that? Jesus. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think Reedy Creek should go away. But it's like you said, right? The the president that it sets because of the reasons why this is happening and the way they're going about it is awful it's bad for florida it's bad for democracy and also like before we go into like you know like the the horizon david people that need people that are listening to this need to understand that like every time we call a special session that's not free like you know what i mean like that's not something that like is free of charge for florida taxpayers all these idiots in tallahassee are living off our money <laughs> so, you know and it's tens of tens of thousands of dollars to you know like house them there and like run their transportation costs millage mileage rates all that stuff yeah yeah reimbursements exactly. their staff so yeah much money for nothing and we're getting nothing in return except stupid political theater it's so frustrating what, what it reminds me of T- T- tomas it remind we, we just started this episode talking about joe Coroyo, who is like kind of a tin pot like petty dictator 
in his own right, but has done the same shit, picking winners and losers. When he and Jason, this is probably not a story that made its way, um, you know, north of the 595. So you might not have heard about it, but <laughs> we have like a beloved bar down here that a lot of people love to go to uh, called Ball and Chain. That's like kind of a local institution. Um, it ran afoul for some of them, like such minor petty reasons. It ran afoul of Joe Carollo and he, you know, leveraged the, the police force to impact their bottom line to, you know, fuck with the patrons, right? It's not much different except that DeSantis could be president one day. It's really not that that different though from just like pointing out your political enemies and using the power that you have uh to pick a winner and a loser and to 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 designate that your your political enemy, in this case Disney, is gonna lose out. So maybe that's a good way to transition to the, the the horizon like what what's what's on the horizon like, yeah 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 so 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 what just what just happened and, and sort of where we go from here so so like just to set up like there was a situation that for as problematic as the reasons were and, and we forgot to mention the other thing that presaged all this is disney which had been a major campaign contributor uh to republicans in florida generally and to the governor specifically announced it was going to stop making campaign Campaign-like, contributions yeah. and that 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 was probably more so than anything what kicked up this sort of sudden outrage and sort of willingness to stand up to Disney, right? Um, but we were in a situation where if you set aside the motives, you know, if we were going to sort of thoughtfully uh, get rid of the Reedy Creek Improvement District and try and legitimately like create some sort of level playing field or take away some of the competitive advantages Disney had, there could have been some good good that came out of it. That's not at all what they ended up doing. What they did, the bill they passed this uh, last week in the special session, essentially uh, leaves the place virtually unchanged. It it took away um, it took away powers like owning and operating an airport, which Reedy Creek does not have. <laughs> right? It took away a power like building a nuclear power plant, which Reedy Creek does not do, and is also, by the way, just one of the most absurd ones that comes up that people say they they could build their own power plant. No, they couldn't because like you know, the nuclear regulatory commission exists, right? They can't just sort of go out and do it themselves, right? Honestly, um, I would trust, I might trust Disney more than the state of Florida. <laughs> to be right. To right, right. But so they took away a bunch of powers that Disney either never uses or, or, or Reedy Creek never uses or hasn't used in like 50 some odd years. And it imposed a bunch of standards like a transparency and financial standards that, that Disney and Reedy Creek already abide by. So all of that is just, almost entirely symbolic changes, right? It left all of the big tax perks in place, tax-free bonds, sales tax, property tax, impact fee exemptions, the ability to still provide your like customized zoning and rapid turnaround permits and all that sort of stuff, right? All of that stays the same. There's only two things that really changed. One was just the name of the thing, right? They said sort of like change the sign on the door essentially. And the other was Taking away Disney's ability to appoint all these, uh, to to choose all the the board members that run this, and giving that power entirely to Ron DeSantis, you know, and and you know what what legislators said at the time was, well, the Senate has to confirm them, right? So there's a check there. This is the Senate. We just passed. They just passed a bill that said, hey. I have no idea how you spent that money, but I'm fine with it, right? That's the check we're relying I'm on. I'm sure you're, you know? I'm sure you did what's right, what you thought so, was best at the time. <laughs> so you've got this situation now where, um, you know, the governor is essentially personally in charge of a government that exists solely to oversee the property for one large business, right? Like we have never had a situation where uh, a politician has this kind of leverage over a single big private actor like this, right? Um, 
And all of these privileges, like we mean, they stayed in place. They stay in place. So Disney gets to keep all its competitive advantages as long as it keeps making the governor happy or it doesn't upset the governor, right? Like that is a, mm. that is a, a really wild place to be. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, some, uh, a legislator, someone made the, made the analogy that I thought was just perfect that it was, it's like, we've, we've put Disney in this like posh, low security prison, right? Where it, uh, you know, a legislator um, used like what I think is like the perfect analogy here of a, of a putting Disney in a low security prison, right? Where, you know, essentially they get to do everything they were doing and get all the benefits they had before, unless they step out of line, in which case we now have the means to, to punish them. And, and the, you know, the, the sort of like potential ramifications of, of this sort of thing and the, the potential ramifications here are like really quite chilling. So like, you know, if Pixar makes a movie starring a uh, transgender kid as yeah. a character, is is Reedy Creek now going to deny Disney a utility easement it needs to to get across, you know, uh, a power line to build, you know, a, a access road to an attraction or something like that? I mean, the 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 you know the potential sort of abuse in a situation like this is is just the potential for abuse is enormous. And and here's where I want to just bring it back to we were talking earlier about how uh, we saw sort of a, this attempted hostile takeover at the board that runs Orlando International Airport um, that that failed at the time and it failed because two of the board members managed to stop it and those board members were the mayors of Orlando and Orange County who are guaranteed their seats on this this board you know they had we had local elected officials on this board who are not at all beholden to the governor right they had their own sort of interests and bases of power and sort of own sort of political incentives. And they were able to stand up and provide an, a meaningful check on what was going on over there. This Reedy Creek board will be entirely appointed by the governor. There was um, there were Democratic amendments to add local elected officials, to add the mayor of Orlando, the mayor of Orange County, the mayor of Kissimmee and the, the chairperson of Osceola County. Um, and all of those were rejected. It was very clear that the plan all along was to make sure that the governor himself had total control of this district. So it's it, it, it's funny because it, this is so chilling because Disney, you think of Disney and you just think of it being, you know, cartoons, dancing bears, whatever. It's an enormous media operation. It has journal, uh, quasi-journalistic entities that it owns. It has... It, it owns, you know, the movie studios that make movies for grownups, too. It owns movies where you or it, it owns properties where you can imagine either criticism of the government of Florida, specifically the governor, specifically somebody who's going to be running for president, who's going to be a huge public figure. Like if this was Comcast Universal, right, a competitor of Disney's, if this was Comcast Universal, you'd be right to say, wow, I guess maybe SNL is not going to be able to make fun of the president or of of, um, of the of Ron DeSantis. And how many different that's an easy one to one comparison. There's a million different platforms, TV shows, movies, creators, social network shows, all types of stuff that uh, intellectual property that Disney makes that now. I mean, I worked, look, I was a Disney employee for a while. I was an editor at Fusion TV, which was a property of Disney and was also owned by ABC, which was owned by Disney and, um, and a joint venture with Univision. And we had to run every article through legal. I did not have to do that at the Miami Herald. I never had to do that at Reuters. I had great editors at those places, but 
only working at that Disney property did I have to run every article that I wrote up the chain. And every article that I edited, I had to run the reporter's article up the chain to legal. And yeah, they did push back on things. And it was exactly that kind of stuff that they would push back on. And this was way back in 2012. Can't imagine what it would be like in this environment as like charged up as as it is now and as it'll probably as it promises to only get worse i mean it, everything's politicized now so i i, I, right. I it, it's it's got it's this is like a butterfly effect of 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 uh you know circumstances that i can only imagine are going to come out of out of that kind of control the governor's office having it's right. insane and here and here's like the most crass and basic one is we mentioned earlier disney stopped making campaign contributions you sort of uh, wonder how long that's going to be the case or or before, you know, the next time it needs Reedy Creek to build a road through something, right? Like, yeah. are, are we going to, we've now got the leverage to like, yeah, you can build that road, but boy, boy, my, uh, my super PAC needs a little bit of a fusion. You know what I mean? Like the, like, like I said earlier, the, the potential for abuse in the setup, the, the situation where we've created where one politician is essentially in charge of all sorts of pressure points over one giant corporation is, is, uh, it's really terrifying. To make it happen, a governor like DeSantis needs his hatchet men. He needs guys who can actually make it make it happen. And I'd like to talk, finish up this episode by talking a little bit about one of those guys. On Monday, it was announced that the new College of Florida, as we alluded to earlier in the episode, had found itself a new interim president. As one of the few remaining progressive outposts in Florida's educational system, New College has been uh, a recent, more recent frontline for Ron DeSantis's culture war. And the new school leader is a familiar name. It's Richard Corcoran, who we've already talked about a little bit, right? Uh, The former Florida Commissioner of Education, former Speaker of the Florida House. Corcoran has been politically connected at the hip with DeSantis pretty much since DeSantis came on the scene as governor. I mean, maybe even predating that when when he was in the uh, when he was a congressman. Um, He's helped him further his cockamamie anti-CRT agenda and help him garner a lot of those uh, culture war headlines that he's earned. Um, and Corcoran, he must be pretty fucking sick of his family because he spending more time with his family is the reason that he gave 11 months ago when he resigned from, uh, from that, from that position as a commissioner. Um, and I'm sure that the bid rigging scandal that, uh, that implicated him, um, had nothing to do with it and that, that he was sort of facing. And that was, you know, kind of, uh, in the, this was of course, before we knew that, um, <laughs> before we knew that, that that the Republicans were going to win so easily and so handily. Uh, this was election season, right? 20, uh, you know, January, February, March, 2022, a bit of a liability to have that guy as your education commissioner. Um, and now he's back, right? Uh, Jason, maybe you're, you're way more well-versed on the history of who Richard Corcoran is. Maybe you can give us a little primer on who this guy is, why he's DeSantis's choice to run um, new school and why, in uh, an evolving theme on this episode, he's getting paid so goddamn much money to do it. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to give you a satisfying answer to why we're paying him seven hundred thousand uh, dollars. But so, so Richard Corcoran is a guy that um, essentially has been in the plumbing of Florida Republican politics since the early 1990s. I mean, he has been he climbed up through the legislature as a as a staffer in the then minority office. He, you know, eventually, probably the first time he really became sort of well known to folks was when he was Marco Rubio's chief of staff, when Marco Rubio was the the speaker of the Florida House. And he's just sort of continued to climb. He eventually became a legislator himself and became speaker of the state house himself. Um, you know, and and what Richard Corcoran brings um, 
to situations like this is is knowing knowing state government um, better than just about anybody else and where all the different pressure points and leverage levers are all through state government and helping people you know who want to to amass control of something or who want to sort of create a situation knowing all the different places to go the buttons to push and that sort of stuff and and the other thing you know corcoran is a guy um i covered in the legislature for a long time i actually wrote like pretty a long profile of him back when i worked for florida trend magazine so you know i feel, I feel like i've got a pretty good handle on, on sort of his career and certainly you know his personality up at least up until that point and one of the things that was always remarkable to him is he um he always prayed on the fact that other people didn't do their own homework, right? Like mm -hmm. he would know, he would know and be confident that that the people he was dealing with didn't know enough to know when he was, you know, Full going shit. too far or yeah. stretching to it. So, like, like an example is like, um, you know, he's got this reputation, or he had this reputation as this master of legislative rules, right? Which are, you know, just the total ar arcane you know, sort of the, the plumbing and the scaffolding of how the legislature works, you know, and it, 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 knowing the rules is really important, but it's not so much that he was like a master of that, or at least that's not where he just knew that nobody else really read him. So, you know, yeah. he, he could be confident that that sort of people would believe that he was a master because they weren't, you know what I mean? Like it, and he, he's really good at sort of taking advantage of those kind of uh, situations. That's so perfectly Florida. For like a guy, this 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 sort of fixer guy. Like I think of um uh uh oh gosh, the the last name escapes me. Mac Stepanovich, Mac Stepanovich, right? It, it's kind of like a knows where all the bodies is buried kind of guy, but knows all the levers to yeah. pull and, and 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 things like that. What can people expect based off of his um uh, little less than four year term running the Florida Educational Department? What do you think people can expect? Uh, or students or stakeholders at, you know, faculty, et cetera, at the, at new college. Like I, I joked about dewokifying, you know, at the beginning of the episode, but what do you anticipate uh, a, a Corcoran interim presidency to, um, to be, um, you know, defined as? Yeah. I mean, what I would, what I would expect based on sort of watching a lot of his career is that um, <laughs> New College of Florida will essentially become an arm of the governor's presidential election campaign, right? And it will be used in ways to uh, to generate sort of media and sort of uh, issues that the governor can campaign on or benefit from. I would expect um, we'll see a lot more people in in sort of the governor's orbit and Richard Corcoran's orbit that are sort of making money off of New College of Florida. And I would expect the um, the sort of the the state sort of influence over curriculum and philosophy and sort of what is taught and what is allowed to be taught, I would expect that to become far more hands-on in a way that, um, you know, people probably would have never seen with a, with a public university or college before. So if you're wondering how all this money moves around and how it buys the influence that it, uh, that, that it garners. Um, there's only one place to go and that's jasongarcia.substack.com. That's seeking rents. Uh, Jason, our guest today. Thank you so much, man, for coming on and talking about all this stuff with us. And thanks for uh, spending so much time. Cause we, we kind of pushed the hour and a half limit here. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate having me. It's, it's sort of fun to really like get down into the weeds on some of this stuff, you know? Yeah. We'll definitely have you back uh, pretty soon when the, the, <laughs> 
I mean, again, your, your, your subject matter is the kind of stuff that we probably could have on as like a recurring thing every, every week. <laughs> yeah, anytime, man. That's all for this episode of Why Are We Like This? Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at wawlt.com. Follow us on Twitter at Walt Show and on TikTok at Walt Show. You can also email us at walt at allpointswest.net. Until next time, this was Why Are We Like This? Walt Mafia Rising. (laughs) 